Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't mention that we have Vic Kilburn here this morning. Uh, maybe some of you know that uh, we got to celebrate Vic's 100th birthday not too long ago. Yeah. And uh, we're so glad he made it. And we know the reason why he made it is because today is Memorial Day. And uh, so I think it would be important for us, uh, as, as Vic uh, knows, to remember all those that he fought alongside and um, all those who fought in all uh, the wars uh, that America has fought in. Today is a day where we remember their service and their sacrifice. Um, and so we just want to say... Uh, Vic, thank you for your service, and also uh, we pray your comfort uh, for those that you're mourning today, and for all those here who have loved ones, who served, um, who lost loved ones. Um, we just want to say we see you, we acknowledge you, and uh, we thank you for uh, your service and your sacrifice for those that you lost. So you want to clap one more time Hundreds a bit a big one, Vic. Yeah, we know it, right? And we saw you got the whole life story on display. It's really incredible. So make sure to just uh, tell Vic congratulations and thank you and all that good stuff. Uh, with that, let me pray and we'll get into the sermon this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with us, uh, Lord, to uh, continue to reveal yourself to us. I thank you for. Uh, the worship that we've had and the prayers and the ways in which you are moving in our midst. And I pray that uh, as we look to your word, Lord, that you would speak your truth, um, that you would uh, give wisdom and guidance and hope, um, that you would also just show us as your disciples what you would want from us. Uh, show us how to be your people and to... Uh, Hold on to what we know is true and loving and good. And we pray that uh, you would uh, just uh, give a supernatural sense that you are with us to give us your peace and hope and comfort. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, you can either follow along on the screen or uh, in your pew Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning. We are continuing in what's known as Easter Tide this morning. And that is a time after Easter where the church reflects on joy. And I'm going to read to you. This is one of our text meditations on joy that is from the church lectionary. And this is uh, John 17, starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. A couple of points just to get us going here from the text. This is what's known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, this is a prayer that he prayed both for his disciples um, and then for the world. And you can see here that Jesus' heart in this prayer for us is that we would find unity, that we would find the unity that is present between God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian unity, um, this way in which by mutual love and affection, the Trinity has a community. And through Jesus' prayer, he's praying that we too would be able to join in this type of unity. Maybe as we read these words this morning, it feels as though they may be at a distance. That uh, this prayer for love and unity feels distant uh, from what we've seen over the last week. And the story of the Bible bears witness to the painful reality, in fact, uh, of just living and existing in the world. In fact, you know, in the earliest pages of the Bible, there's a story, the first story of two brothers in the whole Bible ends in senseless murder. Um, escalating hate and violence result from that. This is a result of the fall moving into the story of what it means to live in the world and to be human. And of course, uh, the tragic shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, um, is wicked beyond words, and we feel the pain of that. We sense uh, this evil. And our hearts ache. Our hearts ache and our spirits groan for mothers and for fathers and for, of course, the children. And we come together as a church to ask the question then, what is the Christian response? What do we do in response to such evil? And I know I had that prayer in my heart uh, this whole week. And I'm sure many of you did as well. 
And as I was praying, I, you know, when I don't know the answer, I asked Jesus what the answer to this question is. And uh, one of the scriptures that through prayer I felt was brought to me was a scripture that comes in Jesus' first sermon and is actually his sermon text from Isaiah 61, which is uh, this line where Isaiah is speaking of the coming Messiah, and he says the character of the coming Messiah will be one who binds up the brokenhearted. That the character of who Jesus is and his purposes in the world are that he is the one who shows us how to bind up the brokenhearted. And so we set our text, this prayer for unity, against the backdrop of what it means to actually reflect on true unity, true earned unity, as we walk this earth together that is full of tragedy. How do we respond as a church together in the way that Jesus would want us to respond. One of the ways I've been really thinking about this is a teaching from a, a pastor and a writer, theologian named Ian Cron. As he defines what love is, one of the ways that he does it uh, is he talks about the primary posture of love is cruciformed, meaning that as Jesus was on the cross cruciformed, open-armed, as, as was so beautifully put in the now-end quote that we read, open-handed, that somehow love demands this vulnerable openness, this total extension of the human heart, this outpouring of the human heart. And Jesus, as he defines love, shows us that it is cruciformed, meaning that the pain, the grief, the loss, the sorrow, is cruciformed in the extended vulnerable heart of Jesus. And so one of the things we can think about as we talk about unity this morning is to talk about how as Christians we're unified in our grief. This is an important posture that the scriptures tell us is part of our journey together from the beginning to the end of scripture. The whole sweep of scripture shows us that one of the things that we do as followers of Jesus is get together and share our grief with one another. We don't isolate. We don't assume that our pain is only for us. But we're invited to share our pain with God and with one another. A unique place we see this, although there's many calls to communal lament, is in Joel, uh, the, the book of Joel in the Old Testament. It's a time they think was between Ezra and Nehemiah where there was a rebuilding project going on because Jerusalem had fallen and uh, the walls were in ruins. And so Joel sets out to describe uh, the heart of the people as they grieve and actually the heart of God to call them into communal grief. In Joel 1.13, it says, Gird yourself with sackcloth and lament. 
O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. You see, there's something about lamenting together. There's something about how when we take our pain and share it with the people around us, that it shows us that we're not alone. Our hearts cry as one today. There's nobody here who hears of a shooting and whose heart isn't grieved to the core. And so we must learn how to move towards each other in our pain, not away from each other, and to identify the places in our common humanity and allow them to be resources of authentic community, places where it's okay to not be okay, places where we are quick to listen, to hear each other, to extend intentional uh, compassion to one another. And there may be a day where you are unable to give. And that is the day where your friend, your church, should step in to believe for you, to represent hope and love for you. And then there may come a day where you're okay, living with your wounds, and then it will be your turn to turn to somebody else and extend the same love and compassion to them. Scripture teaches us that's what it looks like to be the body of Christ in really profound ways that I think could only be revealed from God himself because they are counter to our human nature. One of them is in Hebrews 13.3. It says this, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if yourselves were suffering. You see, this is a picture of the persecuted church. And it's saying that the people in prison, those who are suffering acutely, that the the entire body of Christ should suffer with them in this way. We know that we're connected. We feel it intuitively that we share so much in this human network. And so when they're suffering, God says that we should experience that suffering, that we should acknowledge that suffering, we should stay connected to that suffering. We remember a few weeks ago when Saul was stopped in his tracks on the road to Damascus and Jesus from heaven speaks to him. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Even though he wasn't the primary target of the physical persecution that was going on in the early church, Jesus is identifying with the persecuted church and saying, when you persecute my church, you're persecuting me. We see uh, in this teaching from Paul later then in 1 Corinthians, he's able to have this kind of insight. And he speaks now to the church and he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If you have a stubbed toe, or I saw uh, this week that Edgar, our youth pastor, twisted his ankle severely. 
okay, and it was all black and blue. When that happens, your whole body focuses on your ankle, right? It's not like you can ignore the ankle to go about your business. Your whole uh, way of doing life is adjusted because of the injury. And so the teaching in the early church began to be summarized in this way. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That when Jesus is loving, when Jesus is in his cruciform posture on the cross, praying a prayer of lament from the Psalms, that it is a way for us to see that grieving is a side-by-side activity, not something far off. Jesus' example again, he entered our pain by leaving his throne, taking on human flesh, experiencing loss, rejection, sorrow, sickness, and temptation, all because he was here to experience life side by side with us. One of the ways that this has been taught to the church uh, in a beautiful way by Henry Nouwen is to commission all who would want to be a part uh, of leadership or to be a disciple uh, and follow Jesus into ministry is in a way to become a wounded healer. Meaning that we can be wounded and beset by pain and yet also called into ministry. Also called to heal others. And Henry Nouwen said before he uh, died that this book written, Wounded Healers, to the future of the church he believed would need this type of leadership. This type of leadership like Jesus who later, when Thomas needed to see his wounds, could point them out and say, look at the scars in my hands. Look at the places where I have been healed I can show you a way through your pain into healing. One of the quotes from this book, uh, Henry Nouwen writes this. He says, When we become aware that we do not have to escape our pains, but that we can mobilize them into a common search for life, those very pains are transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. And so this week we go all the way back. The weeks before we've been living in joy, the anticipation of joy, but we need to acknowledge that pain is the beginning of a process. And we need to see our pain and identify it so that we can move into places of common grief and then we saw here, now in teaching us that in the place of common grief, that there is a promise to the church that out of that place of common grief, that there will be communion. And that communion then is transformed into hope. And then eventually that hope leads us again to joy. And so this process is one that we go slowly through and maybe need to take our time to really understand and to process, but it is still the North Star for us, this way of Jesus through the valley. 
And so my heart is that in a season like this that we would see how we're unified. And, and that unity extends into our grief, but it also extends into the reality of understanding who our common enemy truly is. When we look upon what happened this week in Texas, the human heart only has one definition, one word that could summarize what happened there, evil. People within the church and people without the church have only this language to name what happened there. And so it's important for us to understand and be sober-minded and realize exactly what our human experience is so that we're not naive, so that we can understand exactly what we're dealing with and we can help the world to understand what we're dealing with and we can keep the definition of what evil is uh, defined biblically so that people are understanding, even in the midst of a dark time, what we are called to do and what we are facing. Ephesians 6.12, you know it. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. A sick culture creates a sick soul. And the copycat nature of these tragedies is a call for us to offer examples of another way. To pay attention to our precious young people. To do everything we can to represent who Jesus is and a healed soul. A soul that can experience all that life throws at it, but ultimately can still worship and declare in faith without reason or understanding that we will not let the darkness win, but we will always continue to be a people of the light. And if we can do that together, then what we can become as we explore unity, then, is unified as an alternative community. Unified as a symbol of hope in a world that is hurting. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is what we do here. This is why we do what we do. And I pray that uh, we can summon the spirit of unity because what unity does is it calls us forward, recognizing that there is 
a lot of difference, different perspectives, different uh, backgrounds, but the call is to lay aside the small things that are inconsequential for the sake of the big things that matter so much. And so we can learn to row together because we need to be strong and row against the tide. And so we look to these definitions of love that call us forward in humility to say, we don't have all the answers, we turn to God, and yet we see this way of our Lord and Savior, and we are willing to walk in it for our sake, but also for the sake of our precious young people that need a world of blessing instead of curses. And so I'm going to invite you to uh, grab a card. I had one, but hopefully you got one when you came in. Raise that up for me. And I want you to find, a, if you don't have something to write with, find something to write with if you can. There should be something in the front pew. And I just want you to write out a lament. Whatever you heard in the scripture today or whatever we you heard in our worship from the Lord, whatever cry is on your heart, would you take a moment and put that down and we'll do some communal lament together as we just write out a prayer. And then the invitation is after the service, uh, when you're walking out, that you just clip that up in the back as you can see the first service has already done that. So you take a minute, just write out a prayer of lament. Lord Jesus, hear our hearts cry. Your church cries out to you in the spirit of Peter who says, Lord, where else shall we go? Only you have the words to eternal life. And so I pray that you would help us to turn our hearts uh, to you. Lord, you taught us that uh, we can come to you if we are weary are heavy laden, um, and so we commend ourselves to you. We ask for your comfort and for your peace and your goodness to be pervasive. And as you heal us, would you help us to heal others? In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. 
Amen.